If you have a, a four through six year old or a seven through nine year old, Alicia is walking down the aisle there. You can uh, go with her and Joseph is in the back. Your kids will get to go and get to hear teaching specifically on the word of God, especially how it focuses around the life and work of Jesus Christ, beginning with creation this morning, actually. So thankful for that and for those that volunteer to make that possible. Wow, there's a lot more of them than I knew. Munchkins have been hiding out there in the middle of you. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word in some form, I would love for you to take it and join me this morning in Luke's Gospel, beginning uh, in chapter 20 this morning. If you are new to the venue, on behalf of our faith family, I want to just welcome you. The venue is a group of people who are living out the mission of our church, which is to cultivate followers of Christ within gospel-centered communities. So everything that represents our church outside of this gathering time where we corporately come together each Sunday morning happens in rich, deep, meaningful, gospel-centered communities. So our community is not built supremely around our activities and the things that the community groups do. They're not built around the relationships supremely. They're not built around communities supremely. Although God uses all those things, but they are built around his resurrection, the death of Christ, his resurrection, and the power that is at work within us because of those things. So my prayer for you is that you will experience Christ in a very new way this morning. That not only will you receive encouragement as we worship together and as we study God's word together, but that you will get a glimpse of the kingdom of God. You'll get a glimpse of his kingdom through your interaction with kingdom citizens this morning. So the bulk of our time as we walk through God's word here in our gathering time, the bulk of our time is spent walking through books of the Bible very systematically, allowing God to just speak to us very thematically based on what he wants to teach us as his word has been crafted together. And so we have been going verse by verse through the group, through the gospel of Luke and began two weeks ago with a kind of a series within a series called Seven Days, which we will take us through the final week of Jesus and the events and circumstances that surrounded his death and his resurrection. And the text finds us very providentially right in the middle of the Passover feast. Now, if you didn't grow up around Christianity or maybe you didn't grow up in the local church and you've heard of the Passover, you're not really sure what it is, kind of unfamiliar with it. In a nutshell, before Jesus would come as the sacrificial lamb, it would be a major event on the Jewish calendar. So on the Jewish calendar, once a year they would gather in the city, they would celebrate and remember the deliverance from captivity as they were slaves and captives at one time, and God led them, the God of Israel led them out of this time, and they also use it to anticipate and look forward to his second coming. When the Messiah, as we've seen Christ come the first time, they were looking forward to the Messiah coming who would come to rescue Israel. And so they were very much looking for a Messiah king. And so for many, this was like, any, was like just any other Passover. They were gathering to celebrate what Jesus had, how God had delivered them. And they were looking forward to a promised Messiah that would come. And so, so it was just like any other event that they had celebrated each year. But little did they know that in just a few short days, something really, really significant would happen. The most significant event in the history of their nation. As Jesus, the true Messiah, would reveal himself as he had been working for three years to do as the person of Jesus Christ, the promised and prophesied Messiah. 
Jesus had absolutely marveled the crowds. He had marveled them with his miracles and his teachings. He was bringing the dead back to life, which was not common. He was healing sick. He was lifting men off of mats who had been in that position their entire life, had never been able to walk, and he was lifting them up and saying, go home. He was healing men of leprosy, and men that were recognized as having leprosy were being sent to those who judged them in the religious circles, and they were being sent to them and saying, go show yourself as clean before the priest. You're clean. Jesus had marveled them, and they were amazed at his teaching because he not only had he marveled with his miracles, but he taught, it said in Matthew 7, he taught as one who had authority. One who had authority, not as their scribes. Scriptures, they said, they hung on his words because he taught like one who had authority, not like their scribes and priests who just taught out of their knowledge base. And two weeks ago, we see Jesus just really begin to flex his muscles and show his authority for the first time by finally coming and saying, I am who you say that I am. And he would choose his disciples to go and to get a donkey that would be tied up and to bring it to him and he would ride into Jerusalem like a king, not like a king going into battle as that would not be his posture, but a king riding a donkey demonstrating peace and he showed that his kingdom would be like that, that he'd be a kingdom of peace. It'd be a kingdom like they had never experienced before. And then last week, we see him put his authority against the, a spiritual, the spiritual authority of that day by literally cleaning out the temple. So peace, peaceful, meek, and mild, Jesus, man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. When you mess with his father, things get a little wild. And so Jesus would go into the temple and it was being used for so many other things than its evangelistic and worshipful purposes that people were actually using the Passover to make a profit. So they're saying, hey, they got to have this stuff. Let's sell it on a markup and make a little extra money off of religion. And Jesus goes in the temple and starts flipping over the tables, just causing this huge scene, showing that his authority, his authority was not like the authority of the world because his authority came from the Father. And what did, and, and what did the people do? They, they get out. So, so Jesus is full of meekness and peace, but he comes in and with very much a holy anger, cleans out, and the people respond and they leave. Nobody says, you know, Jesus, you better, you better stop it. It's my table. No, no, they, nobody walks up in here and, and just, you don't, you don't flip over my table. You know, nobody did that. They leave. He confronts them. He shows their authority, his authority. He exposes their sin and he attacks their reputation. He attacks their pride. He attacks their wallet. And to an extent, he attacks the entire community, excuse me, the entire economy of the city. He completely goes in and blows this up and he shows them that his temple would be a house of prayer for the nations. A place for the honor and glory of his father's name and the salvation of Gentiles. That was his heartbeat. But the beauty is that through the temple, though it once represented the place where the presence of God would dwell literally in a place made by human hands. We talked about how last week that he said that now, through Jesus, the hearts of his people, his children, would be where God would dwell among his people. So the temple 
limited presence, the new temple among God's people, unlimited presence. And so we follow the teaching of Jesus to carry his presence wherever we go. We follow his instruction to go and make disciples. Why do we follow this? Why do we do what he said we're to do and make disciples wherever he tells us to go? Because Jesus said in Matthew 28, his final marching orders to the people before he leaves the earth, he says that all authority, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. So we go because out of the authority on heaven and earth that had been given to him by the Father, he now says, I'm giving you my authority to go do the same thing. You're to scatter yourselves. You're to go to Jerusalem and go to Judea and go to Samaria and scatter yourselves and take my name wherever you go to the ends of the earth. Why? Because of the authority that had been given to him. And this morning we're going to see, as we've even sung about, submitting and surrendering to Jesus as the authority. And I want us to see this morning the the authority of Jesus as he is questioned in Luke this morning. We live in a constant state of submitting to authority or choosing not to. We go to our jobs when our bosses tell us to be there because they have the authority to tell us when we are to go and what we are to do. They have been given the authority by the company owner. So if you don't follow the rules of the boss, there are consequences and you may not get paid. The police have been granted authority to enforce the law of the land. So for some of you on your drive-in this morning, you had an opportunity to submit to authority or to not submit to authority based on how fast you had to drive to get here on time. Parents, you have been given the authority by God to set rules for your kids, our kids to follow and submit to. And I know that if your kids are like mine, they never, ever rebel against your authority. Never, right? I saw some of the relief on some of your faces as your kids went to the back. You're like, 45 minutes, and I breathe. Students, the schools you attend, they have put instructors in place who are the authority to pass or fail you based on your performance and to actually make you go to class. So if you're a college freshman, I want to give you a word of advice. Don't Follow the model of the upperclassmen. It is actually a good idea to go to class. It is beneficial for you. You know, you you might get something different modeled for you, but it's a good idea to go and to attend. But the school has given the professors and the instructors the authority to carry out the rules of the school. As the church, the elders of the body are given authority to lead the local body. It's not an authority that they have earned. Uh, It's not an authority that that they... rise up and possess it's because God has given authority to to servant leaders to help lead his body here on the earth God's word has been given as the authority and standard in which we we can live life the way God intended it to be lived and we choose whether we submit to the authority or we don't you know God is not just trying to suck the fun out of everything you know what I mean like his de- desire by his, wo- his word is not just to, to make everything boring by enforcing a bunch of rules. But God created the world and he created everything in it and he created you. And so he tells you some things to do and some things not to do. And that is not to rob us from joy, but it's actually to show us how to live life to the fullest the way that the designer of life intended it to be lived. There's an authority there, the God's word. So authority is everywhere, and we're going to see this morning that Jesus' authority, that he just very clearly has shown, would be tested in question, and he wants to show us what happens 
when we don't submit to his authority. So let's look in Luke 20, beginning with verse 1. One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, tell us by what authority you do these things, or who is it that gave you this authority? And he answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or was it from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So obviously at some point, confrontation was going to occur. Jesus has come in on a, on a, on a donkey to say, I'm king. I am the king, I'm the promised one. He, he, he refers to the house of God as his father's house. He has literally told them that he is king. And the religious leaders, they, they, we see them actually wanting to not just question him, but scripture says they wanted to destroy him. But they couldn't because the people listening were hanging on to his words. Have you ever been around a good storyteller? People that just have a gift to tell stories they will literally have you on the edge of your seats waiting for what is next i love a good storyteller i could tell the same story in like three sentences and they can make it a 45 minute uh journey and you're just hanging with them as they go it's a gift when my daughters were little i have twin eight-year-old daughters i used to do bedtime stories with them a lot and i would kind of go non-conventional and make up stories for them which unfortunately ended in a lot of stories that made no sense because i was just kind of making it up as i go but but literally i would make them up and they would just lay in their beds as little ones literally just captivated and locked into the story i was telling and if something happened suddenly and i would jump or make a big loud noise they would jump as the inflection of my voice would cause them to to uh be scared or if something was funny in the story they would just break out in hysterical laughter when i delivered the punchline they're one of the few people in the world who have ever laughed at my punchlines <laughs> y'all sure don't a lot of times but uh i try but this is what is happening here a good storyteller the people are hanging on every word like a good page turner in a book So one day, Jesus is in the temple teaching and preaching the gospel, which had to be a phenomenal experience to sit and hear the central character of the gospel preaching the gospel. It says he preached the gospel. And and the religious elite of the day, they approach Jesus and they ask him, by what authority do you do these things? Now specifically, they wanted to know by what authority did he come into the city like a king? Who told him he could do that? And by what authority did he clean house in the temple, calling the guy that the temple was constructed for, his father? And then by what authority did he find himself sitting in the temple teaching? The temple was not a place for just anybody to come in and preach and teach. You didn't just walk in and say, I've got a word today. No, to come into the temple to preach, the leaders of Israel and the religious leaders would give someone permission to teach. And so they wanted to know literally, by whose authority, who told you that you could do this? And I love Jesus for so many reasons, but I love him for how quick he is and how he responded to the teachers. He said, I'm going to answer your question with a question. I love it. He baffles them with their question. Because he asked them a question about John's authority to do what he did to the point that they said, will you excuse us for a second? Okay? So he says, all right, boys, let's, let's huddle up. So 
Jesus has got us, okay? If we say John got his authority from heaven, then we are got because we didn't believe him and we rejected his baptism. And if they say from man, then they're going to stone us to death. So what should we do? You see, John the Baptist was extremely popular among the people because many people who would be gathered, listened to the religious elite, were baptized by John. They had confessed their sin and repented, and they had been baptized in the baptism of John. Now, follow with me here. This is cool stuff. So if they say John was not a prophet and was not acting as an authority from heaven, they would kill them. It's not a good option. If they said heaven, they would be admitting that they had sinned by rejecting John's baptism. So personally, they would be compromising their religious eliteness. And they would be admitting that Jesus was actually the Messiah because John had said that he was. So if they say John's authority came from heaven, John had said this in John chapter 1 verse 29. He's busy doing his thing and Jesus comes up to him to be baptized. And John says, look, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is of whom I said, after me comes one who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. So John says, hey, this is the guy, the one in which I I have been calling you to repentance and the one in which I baptize in his name. This is the one. And so John had admitted that. And so if the religious elite say the authority came from heaven, then they would be acknowledging that John is a prophet with divine revelation and he is speaking and saying that Jesus is the Messiah. And so they couldn't do that. And so what do they do? How do they get around the question? They just kind of chicken out. In which can you blame them? This dude had just flipped over all the tables in the place. You're going to walk a little more cautiously around him. And he just knocks it out of the park. And he says, okay, if you don't tell me by what authority John came, then I'm not going to tell you by what authority I preach. Just boom. (laughs) Let's keep going. Because Jesus didn't leave it there. It's it's never a good idea to try to gang up on Jesus. And he's about to show them why. Let's pick up in verse 9. And so he began to tell the people this parable. He just didn't leave it at that. He says, a man planted a vineyard and he let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. Well, when the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And yet he sent a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Well, then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? Well, he will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. So in this parable, the vineyard represents Israel. Israel actually thought of themselves in this way. In Isaiah chapter 5, he, Isaiah prophesies that Israel was like a carefully planted vineyard, which would yield grapes for fine wine. And Isaiah says that the owner, he would prophesy that the owner of the vineyard is going to come. He takes delight in his vineyard, but when he comes from the harvest, he gets wild grapes instead of the finest. And Isaiah prophesied that Jesus, 
excuse me, that God would destroy the vineyard. It's a prophecy about what would happen to Israel. This connection was such a strong connection for them that Jesus strategically chose this analogy to compare the nation of Israel and what would happen to those who mismanaged his vineyard. Because in the very temple, the literal temple where they were gathered for the Passover, the very temple where Jesus was standing preaching, there stood a huge carving of a grapevine. And it would be around the door that went from the porch into the Holy of Holies. This thing was massive, 105 feet tall, huge vineyard. It it was a symbol for them as who we are. We are God's vineyard. It was made with the finest of gold. I mean, it had jewels all over it. It was a sight to see. And that represent not only Israel for them, but their opinion of who they were. And with this being a big analogy for them, Jesus says, you know what? Israel, you are like a vineyard. And the owner of the vineyard is God. The farmers are all of these religious leaders around you who are actually preparing to do to me what the parable says in that they will kill the son of the owner. He would kill their prophets. Elijah the prophet was ran out of the wilderness by the rulers. Isaiah was sawn in two. John the Baptist decapitated. And then Jesus. The bottom line here was that the leaders who wanted to kill Jesus Though part of the plan were portrayed as willing to kill the very son to maintain their spiritual authority. And yet in the midst of all this, God tells a love story. In the face of such hard-heartedness, in the face of such opposition, to the point that they're going to kill the son, God says, I love you. Israel, you're my people. I love you. You know, I would make a terrible savior At this point, I'm thinking throat punch, and God is saying, I love you. Martin Luther once said it this way. He said, if I were God and the world had treated me as it treated him, I would kick the wretched thing to pieces. But he didn't. Why? Because he loved us. He loved Israel. His sole purpose for coming was to die, and this had to happen. He didn't retaliate because this was all part of his plan. He is the authority. Isaiah said in his prophecy that it was the will of the father to crush his son. So his mannerisms were countercultural from what a king would be like. Charles Spurgeon said it like this, if you reject him, he answers you with tears. If you wound him, he bleeds out cleansing. If you kill him, he dies to redeem. If you bury him, he rises again to bring resurrection. Jesus is love made manifest. And that is so true of our Savior. And so it seems like chaos, like Jesus is losing his authority, that the religious elite and the people overpower his authority by killing him. But church, to see that is to miss the glory of why Jesus came. In John chapter 10, verse 14 through 18, Jesus would say this about him. He said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep there not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my, my voice. So there will be one flock and there will be one shepherd. Look at verse 17. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received 
for my father. So Jesus said, out of my authority, I will actually lay down my life and I will take it up again. How? Because I received the purpose from the father. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Let's finish the parable. When they heard this, they said, surely not, verse 17. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So Jesus says, let me tell you something. Not only do I demonstrate authority, but I demand authority. The ultimate reference here was to the religious leaders who would shortly not lead the people at all. In fact, a lot of the leadership of God's people going forward in the book of Acts and the development of the church would actually be by Gentiles. Gentiles leading his church. So Jesus said, as we read last week, that this new spiritual house he is building, he is the cornerstone. And for those who reject his authority, he will crush them. And this morning, we learned through Jesus' authority demonstrated through the temple that he is still the authority over all of life. Long ago, this Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, said long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our Father by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through him also he created the world. Look at the, the beautiful imagery of Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And you want to hear authority? He upholds the universe by the word of his power. I remember my kids when they were younger. I think they were about three at this time. And they were having a theological debate. And uh, as much as you can as a three-year-old. And they were in the back seat of our car. And I heard them talking about something they had learned here. It was a teaching about a miracle that Jesus had performed. And I remember hearing them, uh, uh, Anna is my dreamer and Emma's my analytical one. And so uh, Anna was, they were trying to figure this out. And, and I, I heard them talking about, how did Jesus do that? And Anna said, you know, that's, that's magic. And, and Emma uh, said, Anna, that is not magic. That is power. Three-year-olds. And I was like, teared up a little. <laughs> Good job. Colossians chapter 1, we see the power of Jesus over all things. Look at 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him. These people did not have authority. He created them. Keep reading 18. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Jesus is the authority. He has been the authority, and he is the authority over all of life. So what is Jesus' claim of authority over our lives? What does he claim? First of all, we see that he claims the authority to forgive sin. This is important for us. Because Jesus is the authority, he has the authority to forgive sin. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins with ease because he bore the burden of our sins on the cross. In Luke 5, I'm reminded of a story where a group of friends would actually bring one of their uh, uh, paralytic friends to Jesus. And they couldn't get to him because of the crowds. There was just a ton of people blocking the entrance. They were spilling out. No one could get in. And they say, our friends got to get to that guy. He's got authority. So what do they do? They go up to the roof and they begin to tear away the roof. And they create a big hole 
and they lower their friend down in front of Jesus. They knew he had authority to do this. And what does Jesus do? He looks at this paralytic and he looks up at the damaged roof and the friend's peering over in there. And he says, because of your faith, he looks at the paralytic and he says, your sins are forgiven. He has the authority to forgive sins. Well, the Pharisees didn't like it and they said, who gives you the authority to do this? And Jesus says, what is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? So just so I can prove to this, he said, get up and walk. And the guy gets up and walks. Jesus had shown that he had the authority over all things. 1 John 1, 9 says this. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Through Jesus, you can be forgiven. You are forgiven through Jesus. Many of you have, who have professed your faith in Jesus Christ to save still live as if you aren't forgiven. You still have trouble truly believing that through Jesus, your sins are forgiven but hear me today jesus died a cruel and painful death having the full wrath of the sin of all people poured out on him so that you could be forgiven romans 6 16 through 18 says do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves you are slaves of the one whom you obey either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. If you are God's children, you don't have to muddle in your past. But you can trust that Jesus has the power to forgive sin. Which leads to the second point. Not only does Jesus have the authority to forgive sin, but he has the authority to give spiritual life. You have been given a new spiritual purpose through the authority of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of of our reconciliation. Verse 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You have a new identity in Christ. You have a new purpose. We have a new life. John 1 says in such beautiful imagery that the word came to the earth and the earth rejected him. Jesus came to the earth and the earth rejected him. But he goes on to say that for those who did receive him, to those who did believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus has the authority to do that. He has the authority to forgive your sins, but he has the authority to give you new spiritual life, and he has done that through Christ Jesus. But then we see that he also is the authority over all things. I alluded to this earlier, but Jesus said after his resurrection in Matthew 28 that all authority... In heaven and on earth had been given to him. So go and make disciples. Jesus is the authority over all things. From the deepest depths of the ocean to the tallest peak on the face of the earth to the farthest corner of the universe, Jesus is the authority. It's not in question. The question is, do we submit to it or not? He is the authority. I want you to think about the heavens I don't mean like streets of gold heaven, but like literally the the sky, the heavens above us. I want you to think about the limit, the limitless number of stars. 
According to astronomists, there are about 100 billion stars in the Milky Way, just in our galaxy. About 100 million, excuse me, billion. And so you multiply that by all of the galaxies, assuming they all have the same number of stars. And after you recover from the headache, you will find that there are approximately 100 octillion stars in the universe. That is one with 29 zeros after it. And the authority says, I know about that. In Psalm 147.4, it says that God determines the number of stars and he calls each one of them by name. One with 29 zeros after it. And Jesus says, yeah, I determined those. I know none of the names of each of those. But then hear the authority of Jesus in the intimate details of life. God who is over the authority over the universe. In Luke 12, we remember as we studied through this that he says the number of hairs on your head are numbered. He is the authority over the intimate details of life. Now for some of you, we all know the number of hairs on your head. It's zero but let's just picture that saying, he knows the number of hairs on your head when there was hair on your head. He's the authority over life. He's the authority over the intimate details of life. In David's confession to God after he committed adultery and murder, he says, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from you? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths of Sheol, you are there. When I rise, you were there. When I lie down, you were there. He's blown away to know that God, who David had, was a man after God's own heart and who had committed a sin, he realizes that God is with him because he's the authority. And he says, I can't go anywhere that you're not there. And that was a statement of worship, not a statement of regret. He says, Jesus, you, you God, you are the authority over my life. So what does this mean for us in conclusion? I want to summarize with a couple of questions. And the ultimate question is, have you surrendered your life to the authority of Jesus? He is the authority. That's a statement. The question, have you submitted your life to his authority? Is he the Lord of your life? I look around at people doing life, and many people want Jesus to be their Savior. They just don't want him to be their Lord. And you don't get one without the other. I say it all the time. We come to Jesus on his terms. So what does this look like? First of all, have you submitted your sins to his blood? You cannot forgive yourself. You can try all you want, but there is a chasm between you and God which was carved out by sin and there is no way to cross it but through the blood of Jesus. He has the authority to forgive our sins and this is a free gift. I despair at the thought that so many will live their entire life with the keys to eternal life laid right in their lap and they reject that Jesus died. Hear me this morning. Our Savior, this King, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, died a literal death on a cross. It's historical. You You can bank on it. This person named Jesus died on the cross and his body has no longer been found. He can't, they can't find his body. He's resurrected. He had our sins poured out on him so that you could be made right with God. And he did this while you were still a sinner. Do you get this? 
While you were still a sinner, Christ died on the cross for you. And he says, be reconciled to me. You don't have to do anything. This is a free gift. I even give you the gift of faith to believe in grace. So I ask the question, have you submitted your sins to the blood of Jesus? This is liberating. Man, it's so liberating to know that the, 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 the sin that marred me and separated me from God, Jesus has bridged that gap, and by accepting his blood as an atonement for my life and my sin, I have eternal life, and I don't have to worry about my standing before God because he sees Jesus, and he says, righteous. What good news? What good news? But there's a second thing. Have you submitted your life to his will? When you submit your life to someone else's authority, you do so on their terms. So for a lot of you, you have submitted your sins to the Savior, but you have not submitted your lives to the King. So what is it in your life that you're holding on to? Is it unhealthy relationships? For some of you, your relationship is physically, emotionally, and spiritually wrong. But you've been unwilling to submit it to Jesus. For some of you, You have carved out a niche of things that are yours and it needs to be submitted to you. It needs to be submitted to Jesus. For some of you, it's secret sin. You carry around a lot of sin. You've not brought it under submission to Jesus. For some of you, it is unforgiveness. Maybe you're holding a grudge. Maybe you're holding bitterness towards someone and it needs to be submitted to the will of the Father. Thirdly, have you submitted your life to his rest? Have you Sabbathed and found rest in Jesus? Have you come to him for spiritual rest? Have you allowed your freedom in him to allow you to take physical rest? For a lot of you, you are on a constant quest to please man to where you have literally ran yourselves towards burnout in an attempt to do so. Jesus says, find your rest in me. Jesus says, come unto me all you who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If the burden you are carrying around is heavy, it is not Jesus' burden. He says, my burden is light. Have you submitted your life to his rest? Have you stopped trying to prove yourself? The only person that is worth proving yourself to is God the Father, and he said, I'm pleased with my son. Because he is who he is, you have proven yourself before me. We come into Jesus for rest. And finally, have you submitted your plans to his authority? For a lot of you, you are trying to find God's plan for your life by searching for the plan instead of the Father. Your quest for finding the plan God has for you is centered on a circumstance and not on God. I want to read two things to you. One, Matthew 6, 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God. And does it go on to say, seek second things and plans and et cetera? No. It says that you have one purpose and goal. One, seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. And he goes on to say that all these things will be added unto you. So he doesn't say if you seek kingdom one and then family and career two and then this three. He says, no, you seek the kingdom and I'm going to add everything else. Because when you're looking at life through the lens of the kingdom, that is supreme and God's, 
God's uh, glory seen through his kingdom advancement is all you desire. And that shapes the way you lead your family. That shapes your career choices. That shapes the way in which you approach life. That shapes the way you approach people. Because you're seeking the kingdom first. And so the kingdom says, I will do these things so that the kingdom may grow in advance. So we seek the first the kingdom and then all these things will be added unto you. He has a path for you. And the first step begins by walking towards him. So this morning, I hope we see, and I am with this question, Jesus is the authority. Will you submit your life to the authority? For some of you, this is an evangelistic question. Because I know in a room this size, there are some who do not know Jesus as Savior. And Jesus is standing there having died for you and having come back to life, having scorned, been scorned and having the weight of all sin placed on his, on his shoulders. And he's standing before you and he says, come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. So for some of you, the evangelistic calling is to come to Jesus for the first time. For others, it's to come and to lay down some things that you are harboring and you know you are and it's keeping you from being unleashed to go after God wholeheartedly and he is saying, come and lay it down. I am the authority. So my prayer this morning is that all of us will look in our life and see what is it in my life that needs submitting to the authority. Let's pray together.